Good evening, brothers and sisters. The reading of the New Testament scripture is found on the bottom of page two. Tonight we will be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 2, verse 3. Hear God's good word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Will you join me as we pray? Oh God, we pray that your sacred, eternal, holy word would fall upon us with power, as it has been this entire service. We are a hungry and thirsty people, and we pray that you would hear our cry, because it comes in the name of Christ. Amen. It used to be, 50 years ago, that the world of nutrition basically lived among scientists and doctors. I mean, every now and then you'd see the food pyramid show up and what's that about? But, you know, it really was just something that was over there. But consider today how much the average person knows about nutrition. Some of you probably have apps on your phone, like I do. You have to actually open them for them to help you, but I I have them on my phone. But, you know, we can count carbs, we can count protein, we can count sugar, we can read about superfoods. Anybody know what one of the superfoods is? What? You know a lot of them. Yeah. Right? These things, and um, even the world of sports, I was reading an article this week that was comparing what football teams, professional football teams, used to eat on game day as compared to now. You know, it used to be back in the day, just a food truck, not a fancy food truck, probably didn't have any drawings on the side, just showed up and it was fast food, and that's what they ate. But now, each team has its own dining room, its own dedicated sports dietitians, its own dedicated chefs. There's a very organized and meticulous what you eat two hours before the game, what you eat an hour before the game, what you eat at halftime, what you eat post-game. Man, we are really in tune with what goes into us, what goes into our bodies, Not so much what goes into our souls. In fact, I was thinking, I I haven't found any apps yet 
that, that um, measure the impact of either destructive words or life-giving words that I take in during the day, whether it's by volition or just come across with me. We're not as in tune with the way our souls get nourished. And this is where the ancients help us. The Apostle Peter, as he writes about what it means to actually spiritually nourish, and and the word spiritual and the word word are actually connected in the Greek. So when he talks about spiritual milk, he's pointing to this idea of the Word of God. And he's he's not trifling. Because he's writing to a bunch of people that are suffering. And man, if you can't feed yourself when you're suffering, you're in a, you're in a rough space. You're in a tough space. Or if you can't eat. And so, this week we take some time to understand really the superfood that God has given us by way of the Word of God and the Gospel. That He has given us something so amazing to feed upon. So let's talk about what it means to understand that, the benefits of it, and what it means to enhance it, the hunger for it. So, first of all, understand the benefits of it. Do you ever find that you run out of the energy to be nice to people? You know, it's, maybe it's, you know, you go on a weekend or a family vacation, it's like you're doing really well, and it's just that one day you just can't do it anymore. Or a trip with your friends, or maybe it's just after church, right? You've spent 90 minutes trying to be nice to people and trying to be, you know, kind and listening, and you get in the car and you just bark at this person that cuts you off, or your kids do something, and it's like, ah, this beast comes out. It's really hard, right? I mean, the energy to love. And as much as, you know, it encourages me to walk around Capitol Hill and see encouragements by way of yard signs about love and justice, it makes me feel a little guilty, to be honest with you. Because it's hard to love, right? It's hard to be kind. It's hard to be just. We are, as Peter would say in this text as he quotes, we are fading flowers when it comes to this. Our energy fades And so there's two things about the Word of God that really ought to encourage us here. The first is, it is an enduring word. An enduring word. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. That means God's people are not annuals that you have to, you know, replant every year, but they're perennials. You know, we keep coming back. Why? Because God's life resides in those that have come to know God through Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus never really fancied himself just a teacher. In fact, the fact that he rose from the dead, all his credibility hinged on that, and he knew it. He went around saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He raised his friend from the dead and said, I am the resurrection and the life. If he doesn't rise from the dead... He's got no life to offer, but he does. This is the unique claim of the Christian faith. And God's word, like him, we're told, 
has life. Through the living and abiding Word of God, the Word of the Lord remains forever. When the Word of God is received with trust, it gives birth to life. I mean, one-time life, meaning you come alive. This is what the Bible means to be born again. But it continues to give us life. That's what he's saying here. And that's the case of the people Peter's writing to, mostly Gentiles, mostly people that had been deep in pagan religions spread all over Asia Minor. People that had spent years and years trying to appease a growing pantheon of gods. Because that's what happened as the the emperor at that time was trying to revive Roman faith. And therefore, as they would move into other areas, they kept adding gods. Just imagine what that's like. Hey, did you you hear? There's another god we got up here. What? Yeah, you know, the so-and-sos from so-and-so. Now add them to your list. And they're just anxious about death. Because basically when you read about the underworld, there are not many good scenarios there. And we can read about it and kind of go, ah, the ancients, but imagine what it was like to live in it, my friends. Imagine what it was like to live in that day to day. And so they hear the gospel, and by their obedience to the gospel, I'll explain that in a second, Peter says, you have purified yourself. Now, what does that mean? I thought the the Christian faith didn't teach, you've heard it all through the service, didn't teach self-salvation. Is Peter saying because they obeyed, they got purified? Well, he's, he's saying the obedience to the gospel, the belief in the gospel does two things. Theologians call this definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Definitive meaning the power of sin has been broken. Guilt has been broken over you. Shame has been broken, and now you are cleansed. When you are united to God through the all-pure one, Jesus Christ, he sees you, yes, even tonight, if you have faith in Christ, as pure, spotless, and blameless. You hear me saying that a lot because we need to hear it every week, pretty much. Every day, pretty much. But also, because that has happened, you can now get this, modern people... You can actually change your desires. You can change your affections. Now, on one hand, we, you know, especially in America, there's this paradox. You know, we believe we're eminently free, but the truth is we also have this idea that deep, deep, deep down inside of me, there's this core desire, and if I can get in touch with it, then I'll be happy. Yet at the same time, if we look at our lives and we're really honest, we realize we're ruled by our desires. Right? You get hangry, you get hangry. We're not as free as we think. We need the ability to be able to feed ourselves so we can purify our our desires. And here, we get back to this life-giving word. Why is it life-giving? Because it is the word of God. He inhabits it. Let me put you uh, in the ministry of Jesus for a second. Jesus is baptized, and then he's led out to be tempted in the desert. What did Jesus eat for 40 days when he was in the desert? 
Right, we would say fast, but he was eating. He was eating the Word of God. For, that, for Jesus, that was his Bible, the Old Testament Scriptures. He was feeding on that every day. And that's the only reason he was able to push through his temptations. And you notice when he was tempted by the devil, what came out? What he ate. You are what you eat. I know you and I are in tune with what we eat. Are you in tune? Well, let me say this. Hopefully, you know, the better we get, and it's important, we start to know our body. Some of us realize, you know, if I don't eat by 2 o'clock, I'm, I'm not going to be in a good space. Some of us, because of health conditions, I, I know I have to eat this, I can't eat that. But I want to ask you, when it comes to your soul, do you have that sort of knowledge? Do you know when you need nourished? Do you know when you need to feed? Is it once a week? I doubt it. I hope not. You'd be starving if this is it. Is it once a day? What, what? So, it's an enduring word, but it's a saving word. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that it may by it, you may grow up unto salvation. Now, is he saying, if I read the Bible enough, I'll go to heaven? No. Let's compare it with normal families. When an infant is born into the family, they've got the family name. They belong. They're accepted. They're loved. But the hope is, if it's a healthy family, they grow into those values. That's the goal, right? And so, those that are born in Christ that are born anew, then mature and grow up into salvation. The Bible uses the term salvation in three different tenses. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You have been saved because the work of Jesus is salvation. The fact that he atones for sin, that he gives us his righteousness, he accomplished, it is finished, he said, right? And yet that salvation is being worked out as you live through the gospel. And one day, praise God before we know it, the work will be done. Amen? Do you ever have days like I do where you're just like, oh, I am so, I so much want to be rid of this. Whatever that thing is. I thought Ruth's prayer was so beautiful, especially when it comes to just the maladies that we carry or the loneliness that we carry. So we are saved, but we have to grow up. But this is really important here. Grow up into what? Now, one other thing I learned about football. Football's, foot, football food. Football eating. Not the stuff we eat. It's really, it is funny that, uh, like, they're eating all this stuff to perform for us. And we're like, I don't, I don't know about you, but if there's a football game, I, uh, no one can challenge what I eat. You know, it's just sort of like, it's like a trigger in me. You know, it's like football game. You know, I just, you know, I just start eating whatever there. There's football food. That's not what I'm talking about. Because along with these special diets that these players eat, did you know that there are different diets based on the position they play? A lineman eats this. Wide receiver's going to eat this. A tackle's going to eat this. Well, let me put it this way. If your goal in life is to be moral, 
If your goal in life is to be Mr. Washington of the Year or, or Miss Washington of the Year, if your goal is personal peace, even if your goal is to adhere to some religion, if that's your goal, you will not need the Word of God. The Word of the culture is enough. But if you are going to try to love a little bit like Jesus does, you're going to need a saving word. You're going to need a word that actually comes from God himself. That's the energy we need. If you want to share unconditional love, you must know unconditional love. If you want to know limitless love, you must know limitless love. If you want to give sacrificial love, you must experience sacrificial love. If you want to impart divine love, you must experience divine love. It must be your nourishment. So, I'm going to feed you right now. Open your mouth. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's Food for love. If you want to love, that's the food that you and I need to be eating. This is why Peter calls it good news. Right? Good tidings from God. Gracious tidings. The Christian faith at the center of the word. And notice how he goes so quickly from the word to good news. You see, there is no other word. I don't know. You know, if you're reading the Bible and it's not speaking good news, you're not reading the Bible. No matter where you are, you could be in Leviticus. Good news. The book of Judges even. Good news. The book of Romans. Good news. The book of Revelation. Good news. Food. Reading is feeding. Reading is feeding. But that gets us to the last point. Enhancing our hunger. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Andrew and the team, for singing Psalm 34. I just love how things link up. Peter quotes Psalm 34, and it's likely he'd been thinking about it quite a bit because it shows up in different parts in his letter. And it makes sense because it was written to suffering folks. He says, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, all the slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that it may grow up into salvation. This is the point I want you to hear. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Two things about enhancing our hunger that will help it. The purpose of the nourishment. The purpose of the nourishment. Now, imagine... Imagine, I was going to use one illustration, now I'm using a different one. 
Imagine that you are planning food for some great event, and you're supposed to be at the event. But, you know, you never get to go. You never get to taste the food. In fact, I don't have to imagine much. This reminds me of my wedding. Because, you know, I, controlled by my desires, of course, we had, we had talked about this food for forever. You know, months talking about this food. You know, ordering the food, talking about the food, and so it finally shows up. And I'm finally able to fight off these junior high kids and high school kids and get in there and get a little food that we had talked about. And Meg came up to me and said, that's not for you. It was for the guests. And she was right. Like, I was supposed to be doing something else. But then they were supposed to send a basket to our room. And they sent a basket to our room. But, you know, I was stupid. And I booked a flight until 5 in the morning. So we didn't need any of it. Okay. That was a long way to go to say this. (laughs) To say this. You know... Reading the Bible and not meeting God is kind of like that. You know? I mean, it's just like you're all about, you're around the food, but you're not actually coming to the place where you're being nourished because it's Him that you're meeting. So, you know, one of the ways we enhance our hunger is this idea that I, I, I can't stop until we have a meeting together. I can't stop until I meet the Lord in the text. Other religious texts and even bad versions of the Christianity are how-tos. But the gospel is who-to. You know, and if we come to the Bible mostly for the how-to, you're not, you're not engaging, right, with a person, and so you won't get fed. So, you know, I would ask you, Are you meeting the Lord when you read Scripture? Are you seeking to meet with someone? Other than saying, I need some principles, I need some wisdom, I need... All that stuff's important, but it's from someone. Okay, moving on from that point. It's not just the Lord, but is the Lord taste good? Right? That's what he says. Nourishment is about, of course, no surprise, taste and see it's good. I loved the early years when our kids, we would introduce our kids to food that they had never had before. And I remember at one point we were trying to push healthy cereal and, uh, you know, we gave it to one of our kids and uh, they took a bite and we like, and they said, it tastes like the ground. (laughs) I was like, okay. But I also remember when we videoed one of our kids eating ice cream for the first time. It doesn't have to be a kid. It can be anybody. I wish every adult in this room, I wish I could have a video the first time because it is this kind of like shock in a sec because it's cold and a jolt. But then there's just this, you know, arms reaching out. So the question is, When you're in the Word of God, does it taste like the ground, or is it more like ice cream? (laughs) Listen, I know it's not all of it doesn't taste like Rocky Road. You know, some of it might not be your favorite ice cream, right? But the whole point of it is taste and see the Lord is good. Basil the Great said this, 
Just as it is impossible for someone to know what honey is, like by simply being told about it, because he must taste it in order to find out, so too the goodness of the heavenly bread is not properly communicated by teaching alone. As much as we labor to kind of set a table here, I know this sermon is not enough. What you heard taught is not enough. He says, we must taste the goodness of the Lord by our own experience. And so that's what we do. If we understand the gospel and we're hoping to meet the person of God, what an incredible offer, again, that God binds himself to this word. And so that tonight or tomorrow on the way home, you can sit before him and taste his love, taste the goodness of the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you've ever in your life done one of those food logs before. You know, maybe a doctor had you do it, maybe whatever. And it's always surprising, right, if you, if you really, like, do it. Well, you know, it, it might be good for us to try the, the spiritual nourishment log, right? Not to make us feel guilty, but to have the sense of, am I eating and tasting the Lord? Am I nourishing myself? Okay, that's enough. Let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you mean to feed us not with guilt and just the law or just life's little instruction book. You mean to feed us with yourself, your self-giving love expressed through Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the new wine that we need. Would you feed us, Lord, on him? In Christ's name, amen.